I'm Mike Vardy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivities Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, 
the author of The Coaching Habit, as well as other great books, but we're focusing on The Coaching Habit this time around, Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael's from Toronto, a fellow Canadian like myself, and we talk about a lot of interesting things during this episode, including some of his ideas around great work and then Cal Newport stuff, deep work. We talk about elegance. We talk about simplicity. We talk about the questions you should ask that he addresses in the coaching habit and so much more. So let's just dive into our discussion now, my conversation with Michael Bungay-Stanier here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Michael Bungay-Stanier to the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the show, Michael. I am deeply excited to be here. You know, we were just chatting before we hit the record button and like it's been six years, I think, since we met at WDS, the big uh, Chris Gillibo conference. So it's lovely to be reconnected here. Yeah, I actually um, was looking back in my archives and this is when I came back, it was 2011 and I wrote um, the session that spoke to you. It was one of the sessions that spoke to me in a big way was the session session on courage and time that you did. It was oh, awesome. Fantastic. I actually still have the notes from that in the WDS notebook that they handed out. And I mean, I'm, I'm you know, after, you know, obviously this is aired after WDS, but I went again this year. I've gone every year. I think I've gone past the doctorate. Uh, six <laughs> years, six years of attending. Wow. Uh, although this year, this year I got to do an academy. So that was pretty oh, cool. Oh, good for you. That Congratulations. Cool, so. But let's, let's talk about you. Let's talk about what, what's been going on since we last saw each other. Now, you now Box of Crayons is, is your company, right? You, you. That's and, right. And tell, tell my listeners a little bit about what you do and what you do with Box of Crayons. Sure. So a box of crayons has, has changed and evolved over the years. It's been around about 14 or 15 years now. And, you know, when it started out, it actually started out as pretty much a solopreneur. You know, I can turn my hand to a whole bunch of different things. But, you know, in some ways, some of the secret of productivity and having better impact on the world is focus. You know, that's that magical, difficult concept. And over time, we've done our very best to try and practice a little of what I sometimes preach, which is to stay focused. So we've become increasingly narrow and niche in what we do and how we do it. And now we have a, a broader goal, which is to help people and organizations do less good work and more great work. And we may get into unpacking that a bit in this conversation with you, you Mike. Mm-hmm. But our, our speciality is giving busy managers practical tools so they can coach in 10 minutes or less. Now, why did you head down that path? Like the evolution of the company has been been interesting. I've actually followed since we met at WDS. I've kind of followed you. It's, again, a Canadian following a Canadian. Uh, right. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, okay, good. There's a few of us out there that are kind of doing this kind of thing. So let me, <laughs> right. let's keep tabs. So what what kind of led to that evolution of the company to where you were, even, even you know, uh, let's say six years ago to where you are now, like what kind of was the, was the impetus for, for kind of shifting in that direction or moving towards that? Well, you know, some of it's accidental stumbling around in the dark. Um, but let's pretend that this was a smart strategic plan from the very start. <laughs> um, and the metaphor that I like to share is one that I, you know, I heard first from Jim Collins and Jim Collins talks about, um, when you're being strategic or you're trying to be focused, you should fire bullets and then you need to fire cannonballs. And the metaphor is this, that the bullets are your kind of low risk prototyping, test things out, try it out, see how it works. Um, And some bullets will hit the target, some bullets won't hit the target. But when you've kind of figured out what the real target is, that's when you fire the cannonball. That's where you get committed to it. 
And Jim Collins' point is that for most people, they either fire the cannonball too soon. You know, as soon as they have an idea, they go, right, I've got an idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit everything to it. Or they fire it too late. They kind of figure out the target, but then they don't have the courage to fully commit to going, right, this is what I do. This is how I serve it. So I I think we've done that to an extent. I mean, some a little bit mindfully, a little bit accidentally, but you know, we've tried a whole bunch of things at Box of Crayons. You know, I, I've had a coaching practice. I've, I've written more about self-help and productivity stuff. Um, I've done strategy. I've done innovation. I've kind of turned my hand to a lot of things. But the bullet that seemed to be most interesting to us was around these practical coaching skills. And so for me, coaching is just a really powerful foundational skill that whether you're a high-level or a low-level manager, whether you're an individual contributor – whether your organization's big or small, whether you're going through change or trying to be more productive or trying to just better engage with the people around you, coaching is kind of the answer to all of those problems. So uh, it's a it's a skill and capacity that I believe in and believe is important. Um, secondly, there's a market for it. So I can earn a living by doing that. So that's kind of the second of the, the, the three parts you need. And thirdly, um, we do it differently and, and we would say better than other people. So we're actually not just another same old, same old in the marketplace, but we've got a point of view and we've got a distinctive approach and we know what it is and we're willing to try and accentuate the difference. And that's what's kind of helped us try and claim our niche try and be a successful company, try and do stuff that, you know, it's stuff we care about, it's stuff that there's a market for, and it's stuff that we're different from others. How important is it for you to provide simple solutions to people when you're coaching them? I want to get into your book in a little bit, but I think that that's yeah. something that's a barrier for a lot of people is they look at what they've got going on, they want to do great work, which you've also written about. I'll link to the, your, 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 the multitude of things, including your book, yeah. Uh, your previous efforts in, in, in the show notes as well. But the, people seem to get caught up in the, the this is going to be too difficult or too complex. How do you kind of highlight some of the simplicity that you can present to somebody and that they may, may be missing out on when you're, when you're kind of leading them through these processes? Well, I mean, the first is, I think, to understand the value of simplicity. And, you know, there's a great quote out there, by uh, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, is you know an American jurist slash producer of snappy one-liners, and uh, he says, "Look, and I'll, I'll I'll misquote him, but it'll be you know substantively substantively correct." He said, "Look, I don't give a fig for complexity on this side of uh, for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would give anything for simplicity on the other side of complexity." And I think that's what an idea well tested, well worked through, kind of using a blacksmith metaphor, kind of plunged into the fire and beaten and shaped, is that you're moving an idea from simplicity into complexity and then through complexity so you get to a place of elegance and practicality on the other side. And, I, you know, I just have a, a wiring and a belief in how important that is. And I think that's one of the things that, is part of our differentiator. I mean, you know, this new book, The Coaching Habit, 
you know, the, the first version of the book, because I wrote a lot of bad versions before I wrote a good version. Yeah, you said it took you about five years to write this book. <laughs> yeah, it's taken me maybe four years and certainly maybe five. Four, I mean, I've written the book five times. And the first time I wrote it, it was like, here's 168 things I believe about coaching. And each one was like two or three pages long. I was like, this would be great. We like this compendium of awesomeness of all the little tips and tactics and strategies I picked up around coaching. Honestly, such a bad book. I mean, it was, a, you know, useless. Um, and where it got to now is going, here are seven essential questions and here's how to understand building a habit. And I want people to pick it up and go, oh, I can, if that's what it is, I can actually do this. This feels like it speaks to me rather than alienates me. And I'll just say one other thing, Mike, because you've got me on a roll here, that part of that piece around simplicity, and I'm going to connect it to the word elegance, which is a, a word that matters to us. It's one of our values at Box of Crayons, is that through design, through elegance, that's actually what makes content accessible and valuable for people. So as an example, with the book, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about and worrying about the design of the book. Because I wanted people to pick it up and go, oh, I could actually read this rather than so often when you pick up a, a business book, say, or a self-help book, and you're like, oh, there are so many words on the first page. <laughs> so it's, it's just, you know, it looks interesting, but it's, I'm a bit daunted by just how kind of dense it is. And trying to create that sense of lightness and accessibility is, is really important as well. Let's talk a little bit about elegance and great work because, I mean, and I've got a, a article here that I'll, I'll point to uh, on your blog with yes and no and some of the books that you've been interested in as well. Yeah. But uh, I'm a fan of Cal Newport's. I, yeah. I know you, 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 you probably, I can't, I, I would assume or presume based on the depth of, of what he talks about, you probably have a lot in common. Where does, how does deep work relate to to the idea of being more elegant with your work like do you think that those two need are, are either mutually exclusive or do you think you need to couple those together to really get the most out of the work that you're, you're putting out there well uh, i've got an answer for that but maybe it'd be um, and i've got cal's deep work definition in my head as you say that but maybe it's useful just to share what we're talking about when you sure. say deep work sure so and, for you for you what are you talking about well deep work i mean most of the people that have listened to the show or been subscribed, they know I've talked to Cal before. So we can, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well as the, the episode. But what Cal talks about is just getting into like removing a lot of the, the superfluous shallow stuff and just diving into deliberate practice, deliberate work on specific things so that you right. can get depth into what you're really doing and focus. So that way you can put out, you know, really great stuff consistently as opposed to, you know, let's say breadth, which there's nothing inherently wrong with breadth, but the problem is, is a, you, te you tend to be more shallow. A lot of people do. And, he t and you, we, I mean, if you've been following Cal's work, you know, yeah, exactly. his whole email and, and social media. And, I mean, you can't find if you tweet one of Cal's articles, you won't find the at Cal Newport uh, Twitter right, handle because exactly. it doesn't exist. So that's kind but, of what I wanted to get into. And I, and I mean, I think that, that the great work and deep work are somewhat, you know, there there are some considerable similarities but elegance has to play a role in there i think it does that i think that might yeah, even come from the depth too right well so what what i mean i i interviewed cal for my own podcast just a couple of weeks ago so i've been immersed in this thinking myself and what i think is interesting about cal's thinking about deep work 
is it's as much the process as it is the outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, his whole thing, and that's why you can't ever find him on social media, because he's not on social media, because apparently he has to practice what he preaches. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's all about how do you create the space where you can stay focused and not find the excuse to, to get distracted from the work that matters, and therefore the work that's difficult and challenging and messy at times and confusing. How do you sit with that ambiguity and wrestle with it to get, out the other side if there is in fact another side to get out to and so I don't think you need to the only way to access great work and by great work what I talk about is work that has more impact and work that has more meaning I don't think that the only way that you access that is by doing deep work however I do think that if you do deep work you're far more likely to get close to that um, and if you do deep work, you allow those unexpected connections that are floating around in your brain to, to be made that might not otherwise be made. So, you know, in short, I think there's a, there's a, a, a link, but I don't think there's a kind of direct causal link. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 can, it can help for sure, yeah. but it, it's, not, it's not a necessity. But- well, you know, I've just had moments where, I mean, for the, for, uh, for um, the Do More Great Workbook, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, I was on vacation. It was a summer holiday, uh, you know, like eight years ago, nine years ago or something like that. I was actually, this is kind of cool, I was actually staying in the cottage in upstate New York near Lake Placid that Einstein used to hang out in. Wow. You know, so when our friends told us this, we were going to Einstein's cottage, I'm like, how awesome is that? It's awesome. <laughs> It turned out that this was a really crappy cottage. I mean, it was kind of falling down. There were holes in the kitchen floor. There was no air conditioning, and it was stifling hot. So it was actually a pretty uncomfortable stay. And it was so uncomfortable that one day I kind of woke up at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And honestly, the idea for the book, Do More Great Work, had just kind of shown up in my head. I could just see it. I could see what the chapters were. And really, I I got up, and I grabbed paper and pen, and over about four or five hours, I – I didn't just sketch out the book. I almost wrote, you know, a very rough draft of the book in terms of broad sketches of paragraphs and stuff like that. And so that's not the result of deep work. It is the result of probably setting yourself a question and then wrestling with it and allowing it to percolate away in your subconscious. Yeah. The one thing I love about the idea of deep work is that you can, you know, is that it does, it puts you in the, the ability to connect with some of those things you might otherwise be disconnected with because of all the other, you know, the, 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 uh, the noise that, that can surround you. And it's very easy to get caught up in that noise. And one of the things that I've been practicing, and we're going to get into the coaching habit now, is that I, I do coaching. And one right. of the things that I've, I've learned, and actually it was funny, just before our call today, one of the things that I got feedback from was, um, you know, when you're on a podcast, ask more questions. Ask, right. more, ask more questions. And, and you know, they're, obviously they're on the, your show because there's some relationship with you and your work. So ask more questions. And, you know, there's an article in the Globe and Mail that I'm going to point to as well. But yeah. one of the things that you mentioned in the coaching habit are the seven questions. And what I love right. about these seven questions is they're simple and they're elegant <laughs> in their own way. I mean, uh, that's how – so can you go over, like, just the – the, the process of coming, the, having these seven questions come to mind uh, and, and why you're focusing on these seven specific questions, because you did say there was like 168 different 
thoughts and you've distilled them not entirely down to seven, but I mean, these sure. are the, the core components. Yeah, for sure. So great, great question. And thank you. So I'm going to say one other thing about the, the deep work piece, um, just because you got me thinking about no, it. Now. No See, problem. The, no problem. Um, so the, the price you might pay for doing deep work is that when you go deep on something, you become increasing expert on a narrow field. You know, the, the joke they say about P people doing PhDs is, you know, more and more about less and less until you suddenly know everything about nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's like, I think you and Cal have said it beautifully because you want to cut out the noise, but sometimes what you're looking for are other notes with which to harmonize. Yes. And you don't want to cut out the other notes. You just want to cut out the distracting white noise that can obscure what the other notes might be. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and, and, and sidebar, uh, yeah. that's why I don't, I love the term harmony because, uh, and I talk about this, you know, um, one of my three words for the year, because I'm not a fan of work-life balance. I, I appreciate something like work-life harmony because you can add or take away and the melody, like you said, the notes are still there. The melody, you know, is still there. Uh, I, I love that, that word. Right. Harmony is just something that, that really resonates with me. So I just wanted to throw that in there before you, 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 you dive into some of the questions that, that are in part of the coaching habit, the key components. So, so you know the the metaphor or the, the the probably apocryphal story about you know Michelangelo the sculpture sitting there with a big block of of marble and somebody going how, you know how do you even start when you've got a huge block of marble like this how do you start to create one of your amazing sculptures and him going well you know if you're creating an angel you just chip away at all the stuff that doesn't look like an angel. Mm. You know? One of those snappy yet strangely useless answers. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> God, good for you. I think <laughs> it was more of a dismissive answer, like, go away, I'm trying to do art. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. But, that, but effectively with this book and taking it down to seven questions, you know, I, I knew that it was going to be a certain number of questions. So then it was like, okay, which questions make the grade? And, you know, I've been kind of coaching formally for 15 years and informally for longer than that. And early on, I noticed that the people I really admired as coaches were the ones who had an elegance and a, and a clarity about which questions to ask. And, you know, when I was doing my coach training, I was like, I just was writing down lists of questions as I noticed which ones seemed to work. So I've been collecting questions for a long time. And so, you know, I have books like uh, Warren Burgess, A Beautiful Question on My Shelves. And uh, uh, there's one other great book on questions who I, which I temporarily can't remember. Um, but I was going, okay, here was the challenge for me in writing this book. I went, I want to write the shortest possible book that would be the most useful for the busy manager, the busy leader. So my goal was to write as little, as few words as possible rather than as many words as possible because that's part of the, the striving for elegance. So the challenge then became what's the fewest number of questions I could share that would be most useful for people. And so the seven questions, they each play a distinctive role. There's not a whole lot of kind of overlap in the ground that can get covered by them. And there's a there's almost a sort of arc in the way that the questions unfold as well. Um, but, you know, we I tried it with five questions. I tried it with nine questions. I tried it with eight questions. I played around a lot um, until I finally got to a point where it just went seven questions feels like it's the right answer. 
Now, question number two is your favorite question, and it's mine yes. too. Oh, that's perfect. And I love that because I think that initial question to me, and, and uh, it's almost like warming them up. Yeah. And then question two, what does that, what does question two do? Right. So what question two does to the folks who uh, are like, stop talking abstract, guys, get into it. That's <laughs> what the hell is going on. So question two is, um, and well, question, question one is what's on your mind. Yeah, which we call the kickstart question because it's it's a powerful way to more quickly get into a real conversation with people. But and what else? We make this kind of bold claim that and what else is the best coaching question in the world. And the reason, and, you know, sometimes when I'm talking about it, I'm like, I'm about to tell you the best coaching question in the world. Everyone's excited. And then I go, and it's, and what else? And you can almost feel this palpable sense of disappointment and anticlimax. climax. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, I thought this was going to be a good question, not, and what else? But what's powerful about it is it supercharges any other question and allows you to go deeper and connecting to deep work again, which is like, you know, so Mike here interviewing me could have gone, so, you know, what, what do you think about deep work? And I would have given him my answer. And if Mike had then gone, yeah, okay, that's good, but what else, what, what else is the connection between your work and deep work? And now I'm like, oh, man. What, what, I, and then I come up with something else, and, and Mike would then go, that's great. Anything else, anything else that you see connecting, bridging, harmonizing between your concepts and, and Cal Newport's deep work concepts? And I'm like, oh, man, I love. And what it, what it forces people to do is to not rush to the next thing, not rush to advice, not rush to action, but to explore the question on the hand in a little more depth to really kind of squeeze the lemon to get the, to get everything out of that lemon. So that's why I think and what else is so powerful. It's really got this double effect. One is it deepens any other question that's being asked, but it's also in effect a self-management tool because it allows the person who's asking the question, who's tempted to move into advice giving, solution providing, rescuing in some form or other to stay curious as long as possible. Because Mike, that's at the that's the heart of what we're trying to achieve here, which is we're just trying to get people to stay a little curious a little longer and move to advice giving and action just a little more slowly. What else though? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're doing there. Uh, but but one of the things that I, that I that I think that this also does, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But that kind of question does that open up the potential for the mindset shift that people will or may need to move forward as you know in terms of becoming a better leader and a better manager? You know, I'm not sure. I think I think rather than thinking the question is going to open up the mind shift, I think what you want is for the practice of building habits to open up the kind of the body shift. Mm. You know, it's about behavior change is the secret to all of this because you can know what these seven great questions are and, you know, I hope people do know what they are and pick them up and get interested in them. But unless you decide to go, I'm going to turn these into something that I ask regularly that I stay curious about, then nothing really changes. So rather than thinking about mind shift, think about body shift, habit shift, mm. about what you want to do differently because in some ways it doesn't matter what question you ask. What matters is that you're asking a question. So pick a question, 
build a habit around it. Pick the question that you think is going to make the difference for you, be most, make, be most effective for you, and then see what happens from there. You know what's interesting is as I was reading through the questions, um, we talked earlier about having kids. You you're, you don't have any kids. You're married, but no no kids. Child-free, uh, happily child-free is how I put it. Yeah, I have two kids, happily child-full. Um, <laughs> and and uh, these questions w- could really apply to asking, ki- like helping with, you know, getting to the bottom of things with children. But, you know, I mean, I look at this and, and I mean, one of the worst things they say you can ask your kids after school is, so how was school today? Well, right. more often than not, they're going to say, oh, it was fine. Yeah, of <laughs> so the questions I often ask is, so what did you learn today? Or, or like, yeah. you know, so, I mean, when I hear like, hey, what's on your mind? That to me, that's almost like, it's almost like a, a pattern. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pattern breaker. Is that what these questions yeah. can serve to be their pattern breakers in a lot of ways? Well, or at least some of them are. Well, I, I'd say this that none of them, uh, none of them facilitate a quick, easy, thoughtless answer. Right. You know, I mean, you you can always give a quick, easy, thoughtless answer. You just you don't have to try too hard to do that. But all of them go. Look, if you sit with the question and you let it land with you, then there's going to there's you're going to you're going to figure some stuff out. You know, when you're asking questions, and particularly if you're doing this in person, um, because honestly, you can ask these questions by email or over the phone or by IM. You don't have to do it in person. But if you're asking questions, one of the sweet moments is when the person doesn't have the fast answer, where you hear that pause for a second or two, and maybe you even see their eyes kind of reaching up to the left towards the ceiling. Because what that means is that you're forcing them to think. And in forcing them to think, you're making them make new neural connections, figure out new stuff. And what that's doing is actually creating new neural pathways. You're literally, not just metaphorically, but literally increasing their potential, increasing their capacity. Because a great question will open up portals to make new connections like that. Now, what if you don't get the thoughtful answers? What if you get... I mean, body language plays a lot of, uh, you know, especially when you're working with in person or if you're doing virtually where you can see them. What if you're going through these questions, any of them, let's say, and yeah. but but you see a pattern emerging of thoughtless or or less than um, less than uh, I wouldn't say desirable. That's not the right word. But people are resistant to them. They're not, you know, they're not open to it. How does how does a leader or manager deal with that? Do you address that in the book? I, I don't address it directly in the book, but I do have some thoughts on it, Mike. But let me ask you, I mean, what are your th- first thoughts? I mean, if somebody came to you with that challenge, what would you be suggesting or thinking about? When someone comes to me with that issue, and, I, and I've come across it a couple of times, um, there's, a, there's a deeper problem there that it just requires, you know, rep- almost like a, a, a repetitive nature of just trying to s- – like search around and figure out where that pain point exists. Cause there's a pain point. If they're not, if they're not responding, either the pain point is they're not getting something from the experience, like the work environment they're in. And that could be personal or professional or something else is, is bugging them. But I, I I'm, I'm okay with trying to drill in a little bit more, but I have come to the point with a couple of clients in the past where I've just, you know, said, you know, it doesn't sound like you're ready to move into any kind of improvement with this or any kind of, um, forward progress, so maybe it's best that we don't work together. I've I've had that happen a couple of times too, but I, I really do try. So I don't know if yeah. that's 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 what you're looking for, but that's I, I do kind of I, I do try to persist. 
Well, I think, I mean, I, there's a couple of things about this. The first is part of what I wanted to role model for everybody listening in is uh, a cunning way to stay lazy when somebody asks you a direct question. Mm. Um, because, you know, if what we're trying to do, this is the behavior change I'm trying to promote is stay curious a bit longer, move to action and advice giving a little more slowly. There's nothing that wants you to move to advice giving than somebody going, hey, Michael, how do I or how do you? So here's what I did with that. I went and I have a script. This is a kind of little script I have in my head. And so people can write this down or copy it directly. You go, hey, Mike, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And, you know, I've got some ideas on how to tackle this, which I will share with you. because I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. But just out of curiosity, what, what, what's your first thoughts on this? How might you approach that? And what you will have noticed to the folks listening in is just how quickly Mike jumped in and went, oh, yeah, I do. Here's my thoughts. And I'm like, Exactly. And I agree with him, and then I might add my own little kind of twist on it if I can think of something to add, just to remind Mike or whoever it might be that, in fact, I'm the smartest person here in the room. (laughs) So, you know, what I would be thinking about doing is I'd be going, so I I think you're right, Mike, which is persist, but I also think you're right to go, you know, speak to what's going on. You know, if you notice it, speak to it. You go, look – I know that I'm trying to I'm trying to ask you some questions to get a little deeper into this, and I notice that certainly in my judgment we're not we're not really getting traction on that. So I'm curious, you know, do you want to get deep into this? Do you want to push this, or is this really just not being that useful for you? And speak to what speaking to what's going on can be really powerful. The other thing might be to say, look. Um, it feels like we're not getting traction in this conversation, but I still think there's something valuable here. So what I'd like you to do is just go away and have a think about this question and then come back in 20 minutes, an hour, a day, a week, and we can pick this up and see where we can go with it. How important is when you're coaching, and I think this is, this, this is something that a lot of people struggle with, is the, is the, uh, the ability to, to and, and the importance of saying, I'm still here with you. I'm still here with you. Because one of the challenges I think organizations face and people face is that they have a coach or they have a leader that comes along and says, um, here's, here's what I'm going to leave you with. And then they literally leave them there with it. <laughs> and that's kind of where it goes. So, so how do you, especially in an organizational standpoint, when you've got a leader, a manager trying to become a leader, because I think that there are some subtle differences there. Um, you know, how do you encourage them to, you know, keep th- f- keep fostering and nurturing? You know, it's, 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 it's I mean, there's the obvious thing to say is like, yeah, exactly what Mike just said. Um, one of the ways that, one of the things I notice is that when we run our programs, we will ask whoever's in the room with us, typically a, a group from a company, and I'll go, so tell me, we, we're talking about coaching. Tell me about a time when you were well coached. And tell, tell, tell your partner a time when you were well coached. And between the two of you, figure out what your coaches were doing that made that such an effective coaching moment for you. And so effectively, you know, you give people six or seven minutes, they tell their stories, they distill five, six, seven things that their coaches did. And honestly, almost every group comes up with a, a list that's very similar to all the other lists. And so much of that is, you know, stay curious a bit longer, give advice a little less, be on my side, push me when I need to be pushed, uh, give me encouragement when I need encouragement, help me figure out my own answers, all that sort of great stuff. But one of the things that perpetually shows up is them saying, you know, check in with me, you know, don't, 
coach me once and then never be seen again, but perpetually check in, follow up, and stay curious. And that's a big part of our philosophy at Box of Crayons, which is we're not actually trying to make managers and leaders coaches. We're trying to make them more coach-like. And we're not trying to add coaching to what they already do. We're trying to say every interaction you have with somebody can be a little more coach-like. So it's about transforming what they currently do. So it's infused with the spirit of curiosity just a bit more. Not just for the sake of the person being asked the question, but actually for the person who's asking the question as well. So let's let's wrap things up here and talk a little bit more about the, the coaching habit. Uh, again, uh, it is it is available on Amazon. I want to find out, uh, you did say that this is, this is the best book you've ever written. Would you say that at this point? I... I, yeah, I would. It, it, it's the one that is the most kind of complete version of what I imagined. I mean, the one I'm proudest of is End Malaria because I think it's really had an impact in the world. But this one, because it's actually self-published, is something that I create and I go, look, I look at that book, there's not a thing I would do differently about it. That's I love a, it. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm really proud of it. And uh, you can get it, of course, at Amazon or wherever fine books. Even, you know, I was looking at Indigo. Chapters Indigo here in Canada has it. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, where can people find you and your work online besides picking up the book, Michael? Sure. Well, I mean, if you're interested in just the concepts around the book, if you go to thecoachinghabit.com, there's just a lot of free resources there. So whether or not you pick up the book, you're welcome to jump in and there are downloads and videos and all sorts of stuff that you can pick up if you're curious. For for um, box of crayons, boxofcrayons.biz, B-I-Z, or B-I-Z, depending on which side of the border you'd like to live, uh, is where there's information about the programs that we run. Awesome. And you're on Twitter too, right? I am, yeah. So at Box of Crayons on Twitter. Um, the other social media place I hang out mostly is on LinkedIn. So uh, Michael Bungay Stanier on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. I had a great time chatting with you. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll see each other again uh, very soon. I would like that, Mike. That was great. Thank you for your time. I'd like to thank Michael for joining me this week on the show. Don't forget to check out all of the things we've talked about in the show notes. You can find those in your podcast aggregator, your application that you're using, as well as over on the website, productivityist.com. Just go to the podcast area and you'll find all the show notes there. Uh, big thanks to John Polster, the podcast producer who helps put the show together. And he is able to do that because of the support I have from my patrons who get additional content with every single episode. In fact, they got an additional 10 minutes of content this time around where we talked about priority and some of the tools Michael uses to keep himself focused on the things he really wants to focus on. If you want to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash productivityist. And there are a ton of perks that you can select from depending on the uh, level of contribution you're willing to make. Now, if you're not able to do that or not willing to do that, either or, I'd love to get a rating and or review from you in iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. It helps more people find it and also helps me learn how to make the show even better. Thanks to all of you for listening this week. I will be back next week with another shiny new episode. Until then, I am your host, Mike Vardy, the founder of Productivityist and Productivity Strategist, reminding you to stop guessing and start going.